Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Bill Schult. Bill is a recent winner of his race for city council in Crescent Springs, Kentucky. That's northern Kentucky, very much so uh, about as close, almost as close as you can be up there to Cincinnati. So really enjoyed Bill joining me for the episode today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Bill Schult from up in very northern Kentucky. Uh, Bill is one of the, the few people across the country who has won a, an election as a libertarian recently. Correct. Um, Bill won the seat for the Crescent Springs City Council. Congratulations on your victory, Bill. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me here. Certainly. Um, if it's all right, being this is the first time I've had the chance to chat with you, Bill, if you could introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, who is Bill Schultz, what brought you uh, to where you're at today? I'm curious about your uh, uh, introduction into the world of politics. Um, and in particular, why you're a libertarian. But before we do that, where do you? How old are you? Where did you grow up at? All that fun stuff. Sure, I am 33 years old. I'm married to Lindsay. We have four kids wow. from age uh, four months to eight years. I grew up in Northern Kentucky. Family is originally from the East Coast, New York City, where I was born, but landed in Northern Kentucky when I was about seven years old. Um, and in terms of introduction to libertarianism, uh, sort of two things. First of all, Ron Paul, as many of us were influenced by. But second of all, I think when President Obama was elected, this is around the time that I was turning a voting age, 
uh, I knew he was a big government progressive and all that. But then looking at actual budget numbers, I saw that George Bush's budgets were higher, uh, especially for the first two years of President Obama's uh, term. So, of course, the latter six of Obama's were way, way up. But in any case, um, I realized that there was something inherently hypocritical uh, about the you know so-called limited government, small government Republican Party outspending uh, even the Democrat successor. So it had me look into other options, became very interested in Austrian economics as well, Mises Institute, and that brought me eventually to libertarianism. So I've been a libertarian voter since I was of voting age. Never thought of getting active in the party, didn't even consider that as an option. But when lockdowns and mandates hit from COVID and all that, I decided that I wanted to be part of the, uh, part of the solution and decided to get involved with the LP. Okay. And what do you do for work? I am a recovering CPA, but I own a senior care business. So we have a business that uh, we serve seniors, individuals with special needs, with both medical and financial affairs. So we have a team full of RNs, leverage my background. I have a business partner. We advise people on all sorts of issues, whether it's managing caregivers or going to doctor's appointments or helping pay bills, all the way up to serving as people's power of attorney, serving as guardian roles like that. Okay. And, and where did you go to school? I went to the University of Kentucky. Okay. For both undergraduate and uh, my graduate degree. And I also went for high school. That's a very common question in Northern Kentucky. Where where do you go to school? Same here, in, same as here in Louisville. Right. It's where where do you go to school means right. Do you go to Saint X or Trinity or public yep. school? What is it? Yep. yep. So I went to Covenant Catholic, which okay. of course had the big controversy with in a, back in 2019 or so. Um and, um, sorry, I was going to say that uh, my business is called Trinity Aging Life Advisors. So when I'm here in Louisville, it's always a big thing with the same X people. Why is your business called Trinity? Of course, sure. total coincidence. Okay. Um, so uh, were you, prior to your uh, discovering the spending habits of the Republicans being equal and sometimes even exceeding the Democrats, did you have any political leanings? I know it's, you're not as passionate about it when you're super young. I think that's kind of the norm. Uh, but did you kind of identify with being a little bit of a Republican at one point? Certainly, yeah. I mean, again, I was very young. This was all my teen years, but um, I was more of a Republican. As a matter of fact, the same summer that I read The Road to Serfdom by Hayek, I also read a book by Grover Norquist. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but he was big with Newt Gingrich um, and, and that whole group in the mid-'90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of them were great, but the... The Friedrich von Hayek book uh, spoke to me more. Certainly more of a um, Republican. I'm a culturally conservative person, I'd say, uh, pro-life as well. But um, it just, yeah, it struck me at a certain point that you could not, again, support small government while also support massive, massive police infrastructure and the militarization of the police and all that. Okay. Very interesting. So with, how long have you lived in Crescent Springs? Lived in Crescent Springs since 2015. We've lived in two different neighborhoods in on two different sides of the city in Crescent Springs. Um, Northern Kentucky is a very, you know, insular area. Everyone knows everybody. I think part of the reason why I did so well in my Crescent Springs city council race and became the top vote getter was living in two neighborhoods. So I had two different built-in networks, as well as being very, very involved uh, with my church, in my case, our Catholic parish, St. Joseph's. So I think both of those things, coaching, you know, I'm coach my kids' basketball teams, um, you know, being very, very involved is really as important as anything. I mean, 
let's be honest too, a lot of this problem solutions to society's problems are not going to be political. They're going to be cultural or community based. And so, you know, I'd say to anybody who's thinking about getting involved in politics or making a political run, you know, it's not as simple as leaving your basement and going to run for office. You need to be involved in your community, have people know you, trust you, know your name and all that. Okay. And you were the top vote getter. What does that mean? That's a great question. Um, I believe it means that I'm technically the vice mayor. So, you know, in our council, which is of six people, uh, any any uh, tie, if there's a 3-3 vote, the tie break goes to the mayor. But if the mayor is not there, I think I'm the one who's running the meeting. And I suppose in that instance, the tie-breaking vote as well. I'm sure there are certain things that will require waiting for the mayor's presence. Um, but it'll it'll lend me certain abilities to, in his absence to be able to um, wield some authority, I suppose. For years, the Libertarian National Party, I want to articulate this correctly, like the Gary Johnson campaign in the what you would call now the previous uh, regime of the Libertarian Party would be described by many as being maybe a little bit more establishment. Some could say a little more woke in some, some ways. I'm assuming or guessing you are happy or, or comfortable with the current uh, direction of the official National Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, the Dave Smith. I'm sure the Catholic thing uh, solidified it for me. I'm, I'm guessing you also are like a supporter of Tom Woods, but is it an accurate assumption for you to say, for me to say, or to guess, that you are a fan of the current uh, National Libertarian Party? I am. I mean, I would say that, you know, again, getting involved with the Libertarian Party on a local level was never on my radar. It was Mises Caucus individuals um, who were the ones that when I reached out, reached back out to me and talked to me about the party and all that. Um, I did go to Reno and serve as a delegate and voted uh, for the Mises Caucus slate, most of them. Um, Huge fan of Tom Woods, of course. Um, yeah, I think no one's immune to criticism, and I think I think a lot of the criticisms of the Mises Caucus are about political strategy, not about ideology, and I think some of them are valid, um, but I'm no expert in political strategy either, you know, and when it comes to strategy, I think the ones who have attracted the biggest following are the ones who deserve the most latitude in implementing their strategy, and Tom's been tremendously influential through his career. Dave Smith, in a short order, has, has grown a big following. Michael Heights, same for him. And so, you know, there are things that come out of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, for example, that I find ridiculous sometimes, but I haven't accomplished more than them, so who am I to say that they're dead wrong about it? So, yeah, I, I am generally happy with it. I find Angela McArdle to be a very impressive person. Um, but they, they, they make mistakes like anybody else. So, uh, you know, nobody bets a 1,000, I suppose. When it comes to your decision, you're a married father of four, you decided to run for city council. Did anyone in particular influence you to run or any in particular event uh, influence you to run? Most libertarian politicians, in my experience, seem to be motivated. Of course, I'm identified as a libertarian, so I mean... I'm biased, but they seem to be motivated by like actual good shit. It's not like they're trying to get in it and then, you know, uh, uh, turn it into like some business deals to make yourself wealthy and things like that. But what specifically influenced or who specifically influenced yeah. you to run? Yeah, in my case, it was more what. What happened was our mayor resigned 
And the way our city works is that when the mayor resigns, the council selects a new mayor. They select one of the council members, to be, they, in that case, selected one of the council members to be mayor. So there became an interim uh, council position opening. And I was asked by a number of people in the region to go for that, or they said, hey, are you going to go for that interim council spot? Um, and the people that asked me was interesting cross-section. There was uh, my neighbor who's a Democrat. There were some Republicans. There was even a Libertarian uh, nearby from one town over. There was a council member from one town over. There was a 90-year-old. There was a young person. So I was uh, I was flattered to be asked by so many people. I said, sure, let's do it. I'll throw my name in the ring for this interim spot, see if I like it. Um, that, was an, that was a very simple process. Basically, you go to one meeting, you give your three-minute speech about why the council should select you, and then they make their selection. What happened was five of us went, five of us spoke. As soon as the fifth speaker was done, the person running the meeting, who was a council member, said, do we have any nominations? Quick nomination, quick second. The council member said, okay, nominations are now closed. Let's vote on this person. Quickly voted him in. It was very clear the fix was in. I didn't expect to be selected. I had not been an active attendee in person at the meetings. I followed most online. I didn't expect it to be me, but that rubbed me the wrong way. You know, when, um, again, it was clear they had collaborated from, from the start. The speeches were irrelevant. They knew who they were going to pick. Um, from there, you know, I had a, about six weeks to decide, do I want to uh, get my name on the ballot or not? And honestly, my main motivation was um, I wanted one more libertarian elected in this country. That really is what my motivation was. Um, you know, libertarianism is interesting from a local level versus a state and federal level. You know, there's going to be things that I'm ardently against at the federal and mostly against at the state level that I'm going to have to be okay with at the city level. Mm. Um, Examples? Well, I mean, I have a problem with property taxes. You know, I'm, I'm not the most radical person out there, but let's just say at a minimum, I think it's absolutely absurd that people over the age of 65, you know, retirees should pay property taxes. Uh, you never really wind up owning your house if you're paying the bank forever or paying the government forever, excuse me. Um, but, you know, I feel a lot better about property taxes at the city level than I do at the county or state level. Um, fortunately, Crescent Springs is very low on property taxes. We don't have a city income tax. Um, but there's going to be things on, on the other side of the equation, spending-wise, that, you know, again, uh, you know, the city's going to pay for new plants around the city building. Like, I think it's ridiculous in a certain sense, but again, I'd rather it happen at the city than have that be directed by the federal. So, you know, those are just two examples of minor things that, again, you know, if someone, if, if, if Trump or Biden proposed it, I'd be the biggest opponent of it ever. At the city level, though, it can make some sense. And, you know, I, when I, not to get too uh, philosophical about it, but I think a lot of my problem with um, federal policies is just, you know, there's, there's, it's not voluntary at all. You know, people talk about, oh, I'm going to move if so-and-so gets elected, but moving out of the country is hard. The government taxes you on the way out. You know, at the Crescent Springs city level, if somebody really, really was upset with what Crescent Springs did specifically, they could move one town over to Villa Hills. It wouldn't be a giant burden on their life. So, you know, I look at it from that standpoint. If, if for someone to leave, for someone to move, for someone to exit, you know, from the regime they're under, if it's not too, too big of a... Um, burden on them, then perhaps it's okay for government to do certain things that, again, otherwise I'd be very upset with. When it comes to, I guess, anarcho-libertarian thought and that type of ideology, it's almost counter um, that type, you know, anarchy, for example, to be a, a politician doesn't seem necessarily consistent with, you know, being really small or maybe even no government 
uh, type uh, advocate. So it does involve a lot of compromises, and that's what you're kind of describing there. I would describe myself as a libertarian through and through. I was registered as a libertarian for a while, and then I ended up switching it. Now I'm registered as a Republican. I was proud to vote for Rand Paul recently. Uh, I did vote for Brad Barron instead of Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I would describe myself. I hope to vote for Dave Smith in 2024, not DeSantis, not Trump. So depending on the race, uh, that's at least my political strategy. How would you describe yourself uh, when it comes to voting? And, and uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I would say when it comes to voting, I would have a hard time supporting a Republican if there's a Libertarian in the race as well. Um, that being said, I think that as liber- the Libertarian Party needs to be very selective about who we, who we run and what we run in. Part of it based on who the opponent is, you know, are they any good or not? Rand Paul, you know, we all love Ron Paul and we have problems with Rand Paul, but, you know, Rand Paul plays the game and there's an argument that Rand Paul's been much more influential than his father. There's an mm. argument that Rand Paul... Stopped us from war with Iran in 2019 because you had psychopath John Bolton whispering in Trump's ear, do it, do it, do it. Let's get a war going so we can bump your pol- your approval numbers. And Rand Paul talked him out of it. Thomas Massey, you know, is, is again, another one who was so heroic, like Rand, on COVID. Um, Thomas Massey endorsed me, for what it's worth, in my city council race, which some people are saying maybe the first instance of him endorsing a Libertarian Party candidate. Um and that, but even beyond, you know, how high quality or low quality the opponent is, agreed, I'd vote against Mitch any day of the week. Um, there's also the fact that when it comes to the strategy of when we should run, when we shouldn't run, my perspective is you need to do the big national races, the presidents, the presidential race and all that. And then really the focus should be on local races. Statewide races, you know, whether that's for governor, whether it's for U.S. Senate or even to a certain extent, you know, U.S. House. Um, if you need to do them for ballot access, I get it. But at a certain point, some of these races consume so many resources that it just becomes about vanity, in my opinion. And so we need to be very selective against who we run against and which races we run in. Okay. So, for example, the guy, Hector, I think was his name, running in Florida against DeSantis. Um, Do you have thoughts on putting a libertarian candidate up against arguably the guy who's been maybe the MVP of governors over the past few years? Yeah, here's what I'd say about DeSantis. I think DeSantis is the most important governor in the country. I think without him standing up, you know, against the CDC recommendations, the COVID mandates, all that, um, I think other states would not have done it. I mean, we know that many Republicans don't have a backbone. I mean, Mike DeWine in Ohio is a great example. He was going to follow tied the gentleman Hogan in Maryland. I don't think that DeSantis is particularly libertarian, to be honest. I think he's great on COVID. And I think he's great on sort of the cultural stuff that I often tend to agree with. But, you know, he has his issues on guns. Um, his foreign policy, and it's not as relevant for governor, would be a, could be very messy. Um, so I'm not going to come out of here and say, you know, that... Here's what I'd say, too. I don't have much of an opinion on, you know, what happens in other states. You know, in the same sense that I feel that Hector in Florida knew better than I do about running against DeSantis is the same way I felt about Mark Victor in Arizona dropping out against Blake Masters. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't know the specifics of the state and what they what people do there and don't do. I mean, um, um, maybe that sounds like a cop out and burying my head in the sand, but um, you know, when it comes to the whole, when, yeah, when you run and you don't run, I don't have as many strong opinions. Um, if I'm being honest, maybe, maybe it's a cop out. How tall are you? Uh, six foot four, six foot five. 
what are the statistics? There's some stats that like if you're super tall, you have a stronger likelihood of moving up the political world. Have you heard any of that? No, no, I, uh, I have not. But I, I mean, it is one thing I'm thinking about more and more is how yeah, physical uh, appearances plays a big role in all this stuff. I mean, most voters are low information voters. You know, you remember all the, you know, man on the street interviews that all late shows would do and they'd go out and say, what do you think about Obama's pro-life stance? And people would say, oh, he's, that's great that he's pro-life. Abortion's wrong. I love Obama. You know, people don't really know what they're doing. And, you know, and that's, that's one thing too. I'll mention about the Mises caucus um, compared to the prior regime. You know, the prior regime clearly was targeting, you know, college educated people and all that and professionals. And, you know, that's not most voters is the mm, reality of it. Okay. And so, you know, if the Mises caucus strategy, which involves a little bit of trolling and a little bit of humor and a little bit of, you know, maybe even the dreaded word edgelording, like that speaks to many, many people. Um, you know, and it's it's sad to say, but like what's a more likely way to get liberty? Is it to, you know, convince five very, very smart people or convince a hundred people that aren't very informed? You know, it's uh it's 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 very debatable again when it comes to strategy. So um as it relates to my height, I don't I don't know if that helped or not, but uh yeah, I guess you could say I was heads above the other competition. You're young, you're tall, you just won. Okay. You seem to speak well, not bad looking. How far do you plan on taking the political uh, process? I mean, do you, have you, I assume you and your wife have had talks. You know, you have success with this. Maybe stay in, you know, stay Crescent Springs City Council. Uh, what do you think of the possibility of maybe moving up down the road? I, you know, I never say never, but it's never been something I've wanted. I mean, every every libertarian politician is a reluctant politician. You know, I don't want to be in positions of authority over people's lives. It's why I'm libertarian. Um, so I, it probably sounds like a politician answer, but the only reason I would do it is for um, for the sake of liberty. I mean, personally speaking, I, I don't gain much satisfaction from it. It's much more important to me to make sure that my four kids are are um, are raised well and, and turn out to be successful and happy individuals on their own. Um, and in my case, too, in the Catholic faith, that's very important to me. So, you know, I, I don't have ambitions um, for myself. If I, if, if you know, I, I would do it for other people and I would do it for the movement. You know, and, I, and the thing is, you know, the Libertarian Party in particular, but libertarianism is you have to be looking at the long game. You know, I mean, I, I don't realistically think I'm going to see an LP president in my lifetime, but I'd like to see one in my kid's lifetime. And if I can help push that across the goal line, I would. But it's it's never been something on my radar to run for office or anything like that. Now you said to see a LP president, maybe not in your lifetime, but in your kid's lifetime. What if, I guess, could we say your buddy Thomas Massey? Is that a, a stretch? Yeah. What if one day he says to you, Bill, I think it's a good idea for you to run as a Republican for this or this. You keep your libertarian values. Because, I mean, if there's an example of someone who does it anywhere in the in Congress, it's Thomas Massey. He's a libertarian. Mm -hmm. He's a Republican, but he's basically a libertarian. Would you consider doing that down the road? Or is it important for you to keep that LP, official LP title? I can't see myself doing that. Thomas Massey is tremendous, but... The leadership of the Republican Party, which at this point, you know, controls everything, is 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 a lost. I shouldn't say a lost cause. Is needs to have a dramatic transformation. You know, mm -hmm. I I don't have. You know, and maybe this is the opposite of what Ron Paul did and what accomplished so much. But I don't have interest in um, 
in being sort of like a, a lone wolf in a, in a bigger chamber that's spreading the good message. Um, you know, we're lucky to have those people that we do, but that's, that's not my role. You know, I, I want to, I want to get things passed and get things done. So there would need to be a dramatic transportation of the leadership of the Republican party before I'd consider that. So you have a commitment to the libertarian party. If we're to dissect some of the biggest figures in the history of the Liberty movement, at least from our perspective, Ron Paul, a gentleman, always wears a suit. He was a doctor, very Christian. Never hear him cuss. I don't think. He, I think he said, although he supports legalization of all drugs, he never even tried marijuana. Right. I don't know if he drinks or anything or ever did, but you know, a straight-edged guy. Dave Smith, on the other hand, a little different. You said edge lording earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Malice is associated a lot with Dave Smith. They're kind of, tr- you know. Malice more so than Dave Smith, but they can, you know, uh, uh, teeter on the, the edge of maybe offensive humor online. Uh, you're a traditional family man, uh, a man of faith. What do you think of some of the inappropriate uh, humor that comes from someone like Dave Smith? If you listen to Legion of Skanks or, you know, a lot of the stand-up comedy, he's a comedian, uh, or a lot of the stuff Michael Malice does online. What are your thoughts on that? doesn't bother me. Um, I mean, I, and I even enjoy some of it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's in a sense, it's no different than, you know, back in times of monarchy when the only person who can make fun of the king was the jester, you know, there's tremendous value. I'm a huge fan of comedy. Norm Macdonald was one of my favorite people ever. And he was as irreverent as it, as it got. Maybe I liked him because he particularly went after Hillary, but, um, no, I, it doesn't bother me at all. And again, it's like I said earlier, I mean, you need to speak to different crowds. You can't have every single message tailored towards the clean-cut conservative Christian who happens to like small government. You know, um, you know, there's a whole host of people in this country in blue blue-collar roles and in the restaurant industry and all that that uh, and in the construction industry that um, that are tired of of hearing you know from people in suits and all that. I mean, frankly, the whole the whole country. Sorry about that. The whole country is. Uh, is way too formal. My father and I always joke about NFL football. Like if you were watching an NFL, you know, studio um, show before the 1 p.m. games on on Fox or CBS and you was on mute, you'd think they were discussing foreign policy because they're all dressed in suits. It's like they're discussing a game, you know? So I think, uh, no, I think there's, I think there's tremendous value in bringing humor into it, bringing um, a little bit of an edge to it. It speaks to a different audience and and all audiences are needed. Earlier you referenced the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. They do a little bit of edgy humor. If someone joking, my, my description would be, if someone jokingly calls one of them like a racist, they'll be like, oh, because you say I'm a racist, I'm a racist. And they'll be like, I'm a racist. Mm-hmm. And then that tweet will be, you know, I'm a racist. And then it goes viral and people are like, look, libertarians are racists. So that's my description. Yeah. And of course, it's taken different incarnations uh, was that a good description of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire? They kind of play into it sometimes. Um, and is that kind of, did I, did I describe how you, you don't always necessarily agree with some of their strategy, that type of thing? Is that a, a fair assessment that I gave? Yeah, I suppose. But I think when I gave an example of them earlier, I was just referring to a group that, you know, I find they do things that are occasionally inappropriate, but they've had a lot of success. I mean, the Free State Project, bringing people to New Hampshire, all that. So I was giving it as an example of why I'm in no position to, okay. you know, bash them and say, oh, they're, they're, a, they're an eyesore on the movement, anything like that. Um, yeah, they've, had, they've done things that they've admitted were wrong, and they've done things that they, I think were wrong that they didn't admit were wrong, but that's okay. 
you know, I, I, uh, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not some super accomplished person who's in a position of, um, of, of authority to, to um, disrespect them. But I, you know, I want to be clear too. Like I, I do think our side of the movement, the so-called Mises caucus side of things does undervalue some other voices. I mean, I, I tend to be a very big fan of Justin Amash. I know people have their problems with him and things that he's said and done, but you know, to me, he, um, uh, he, you know, we, we joke about the people at Cato and oh, they want to get invited to the cocktail parties. I mean, Justin Amash, you know, was a keynote speaker at those cocktail parties and, and truly said like, no, I'm going to stand up for my principles. So, you know, again, while he's done things just like New Hampshire that I don't love, I mean, I, I have to give the guy a lot of respect. And, um, you know, maybe I'm on the uh, hashtag libertarian unity train more than I should be, but I, I, I have no problem with disparate voice, disparate strategies. I, that's what I'd say. When we're arguing over strategy is a good thing, you know, instead of arguing over philosophy. Um, because, you know, ultimately our philosophies are mostly in line. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, so I, I think there's value in in all the different ways of going about it. You know, I, I know you're interviewing me, but I had a topic that I've been thinking a lot about lately that That's I thought here. you'd be interested in particularly. Yep. So you know the political compass, the traditional four, the authoritarian left, authoritarian right, libertarian left, libertarian right. One thing I've thought, let's, I'm sure both of us are on the libertarian right end of that. You know, I've thought about, let's say the country were to break up into two, and not based on geography, but based on ideology. Okay. You know, um, I'm not going to ask the question of which would you prefer. So obviously you and I would not be with authoritarian left. I'm not going to ask which would you prefer, but which one do you think would actually work? The libertarian right with authoritarian right or libertarian right with libertarian left? You know, I've thought a lot about that lately. And you know, In either case, you know, we're going to be a voice of some, there's going to be disagreements in the new entity, right? Mm-hmm. It's either going to be, you know, us having um, political fights with the authoritarian right group or it's going to be us having cultural fights with the libertarian left group. And I don't know which one is more likely, which one would work better. It's a very, it's a very interesting way to think about things, you know? Um, you know, you'd like to think that, and, you know, on the one hand, my thought is, well, the power of the state is so bad that I want to be at the libertarian left. But when you're that different culturally, mm-hmm. you know, can, a, can you have a functioning nation, not even a state? So it's an interesting thought experiment I've thought a lot about lately. You know, which one would I wind up being with? And either way, I'm going to be arguing with the new... With the other side anyways. Yeah. In theory, the libertarian left would be ideal. Right. But you get to talking to a lot of them, which I'm very intrigued by. Right. Even if they don't call themselves libertarian left. You know, an anarchist mm-hmm. who leans towards socialism. And, you you know, I've got friends. I've had them on the podcast. And I'm like, you identify as an anarcho-communist. What does that mean? Would that be voluntary? They're like, I don't know. Like, okay, Uh, you know, so it's difficult to say. I mean, just because in theory, they're like, yeah, anarchy. They like to wear a T-shirt that says anarchy, and, you know, that's who they are. Uh, But they they are leaning toward the socialist side. In theory, as long as it's all voluntary, like you and I could live in a city, and there's a little commune close by, and that's fine. As long as they leave us alone, right? uh, in theory, that uh, uh, sounds great. Yep historically it doesn't work out that way. My wife's from Cuba. Okay. I mean, right. Anarchy, anarcho leftists, historically it does not pan out that way. Right. It turns into authoritarianism. So it is an interesting conversation, which I'm very intrigued by. I, d- I don't know what the answer is. Right. And, you know, I think in a perfect scenario for either of us, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, two groups and it should be smaller, you know, and that's, that's really the goal. And that's why, um, 
you know, to me, decentralization is, is such a key part of what we want to do. It just, you know, it, you can't have one set of policies for 330 million people. It's mm. just it's never going to work. Um, you're going to, you know, the same thing is going to anger people in different ways, let alone is it going to even make people happy. So uh, decentralization, you know, that out getting back to my Crescent Springs uh, city council race, that's, you know, or my, my plans for that, I suppose, you know, I have, I have two, two broad goals. One is unrelated to libertarianism. One is to actually represent the interests of the residents and business owners in Crescent Springs, you know, to be accessible, to hear what they're saying, um, and to a certain extent to not have my own ideology. That being said, you know, I do believe that the role of government should be very, very small, very, very limited. And uh, so anything that violates my beliefs, I'm not going to champion. Um, but more importantly, as it relates to my beliefs, my other goal is to signal to D.C. and to Frankfurt that, you know, we run our own city. You know, the next time there's a COVID that comes, you know, we're not putting signs up in our park that says, oh, the park closes at dusk because of COVID. What? You know, we're, you know as much as possible, we're not going to do mask mandates. So um, that's, that's my goal. In other ways, too, you know, we'll do it around food freedom. You know, we might do it around Sanctuary City as it relates to firearms. So um, my goal is to signal um, to our county, to our state, to our country, that you know we can run our own city. We don't. We don't need you telling us what to do. For the sake of liberty, when it comes to the governor of Kentucky, Savannah Maddox or Daniel Cameron, of those two, Savannah Maddox for sure. You know, I, I, um, Savannah, I like her. The vaccine mandate thing and making it illegal is a fascinating topic. You know because. You know, if, if you're going to say, oh, employers cannot require their employees to be vaccinated, it's mm. like, well, we're just expanding the Civil Rights Act, which we're all supposed to be against. Okay. I understand the instinct. Um, what I've been thinking about, and this is not a fully fleshed out thought, is I, the Libertarian Party platform, for example, on discrimination, I like very much, and I know it's a big thing with changing it, but I like where it is now because it says that um, that, that, you know, first of all, we believe all individuals, regardless of any aspect of their identity, should have their, has the same rights. And then it says um, that government cannot discriminate based on any factor, race, gender, sexual orientation. But private employers can. And, um, and then, you know, the market boycotts and ostracization and all that can be used against them. What I'd love to see, and again, not fully fleshed out, like, you know, Facebook's not a private company. I mean, maybe they are legally, but they're in bed with the government. There's plenty of massive, massive companies, Tesla even, for example, that gets huge subsidies. You know, I'd like to somehow flesh it out that those organizations, you know, are not considered private, but truly private businesses. My business, for example, your business, for example. Sure. If I wanted to only hire the vaccinated or if I wanted to only hire the unvaccinated, unvaccinated, I should be allowed, you okay. know? So I think Savannah goes too far. But in any case, um, her instincts are right. In that instinct, you know, even if, it, or in that uh, respect, so even if things go too far, I get it. So, yeah, I, you know, Daniel Cameron, um, I don't know. I, I, I there's uh, really nothing stands out to me about him. Um, I don't think he did a great job in the Brianna Taylor stuff, to be honest. So, I, you know, I, I know he has big aspirations. And I know he's been um, set up for these roles, but I would pick Savannah. You touched on some interesting philosophical type conversations there when you said Savannah Maddox with the vaccine mandates and making it illegal. So if, if we are truly libertarians, admittedly, 
as you said, we'd both probably be libertarian to the right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a slippery slope if you start to be grouped in with the right, okay? And and what I mean by that is I have buddies who are Republicans, and we agree on so many things, which is great. But then something comes up, for example, uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. All of a sudden, who is the female comedian who cut Trump's head off? Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin. So she impersonated Musk, and quickly, Musk permanently banned her from Twitter. She did break the rules. So there's different topics where I see the Republicans are like, oh, good, stick it to her, ban her forever. Right. And even people call themselves libertarians. I'm like, hey, guys, that's not really like what the concept of free speech is or the Brittany Griner thing, for example. Right, yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. So there's different little topics that really highlight the difference between a a true libertarian leaning to the right versus like a whatever you want to call it, neocon or or MAGA or Mm -hmm. just like an actual Republican. Right. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? And did I articulate that well? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I mean, some of these, a lot, so many people out there just seem like they're, they're at the mercy of amplifying whatever bots they happen to like. It's not even like they consider the consistency of their position. And that applies to Democrats and Republicans and many libertarians as well. You can't, yeah, you can't, you know, on on Tuesday say that Twitter needs full free speech and then when, on Friday say Kathy Griffin should be booted off. It's ridiculous. They, you know, it either it either is fine or it isn't. Um, and, you know, we we see it more so with the Republicans and Democrats, you know, anti-war stances except when they're Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The, the police, right. the the... the the foreign right. policy. There's many cases of hypocrisy from both of the major parties and also within the libertarians. Right. People who call themselves libertarians. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I um, you know, I mean, again, the framework I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, determining what's a private company, what's not a private company. And again, it's not a fully fleshed out thought. You know, maybe you can make an argument that, well, you know, when Twitter was owned by the previous owners, um, they were in bed with the government. Now it's Elon. They're clearly in adversarial relationships. Maybe Elon does have more. But again, it's the, you have to jump through so many hoops to, again, support one thing on Tuesday and then oppose it on Friday. So I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. You are you were raised Catholic? Yes. Okay. I assume that means you're pro-life. Yes. Very much so. I, um, I don't believe that abortion should be a federal crime. Hmm. Okay. You know, because... You're not a big fan of the federal government. Right. I mean, I don't think that, you know, vehicular manslaughter should be a federal crime. Mm. Um, you know, things are better dealt with locally. Um, and abortion is a terrible, uh, terrible topic in general. And I believe that um, pro-life people fall way, way short in terms of actually... I mean, some some do tremendous work, but many, you know, do pay lip service. Um, but yeah, I, I, I you know... I'll say this: There are many things that that are go against my, you know, moral code or religious faith, whatever you want to say, that I think should absolutely be legal. You know, as a matter of fact, Thomas Aquinas um, made a. He said once he was discussing prostitution, and he said um, certain evils. I'm going to butcher this, but certain evils um, should be allowed, lest greater evils ensue. And what he was saying is, um, you know, like what would come from government trying to ban prostitution would ultimately be worse than prostitution itself. Sure. So many things that violate my own moral code, I find to be totally, it should be totally legal. But I think abortion violates rights. You know, 
until until someone can show me that life does not begin at conception using a scientific framework you know i or i mean it's somewhat it's scientific but it's metaphysical but either way it can't be it can't be based on the desires of another person whether a person is a human or not or has rights or not you know, there has to be some um, cut and dry moment that it happens and as far as i can tell that moment is conception being that you were inspired uh, to a large degree by ron paul I don't think he's Catholic, but he's like Protestant, very strong religious man. Um, and of course, also a doctor. If you hear him speak about the topic of abortion, he's seen many. He's seen the uh, horrible, uh, gruesome act that it is on multiple occasions. And his take on it is, you know, he's pro-life. If someone were to be raped, which is a horrible topic, you said it, this is like the one. <laughs> Yes. The worst topic in the world, but right. it's a, a hot button issue. Um, then within a day or so, you could give him, I think he said it was an estrogen shot. Mm-hmm. And so technically, we don't know if that woman would have actually been pregnant, become pregnant, uh, but it would prevent the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on anything like that? Or what about very, very early abortions like? Uh, first trimester or what are your thoughts because it turns into when you drill into the specifics of this type of a conversation there's more to it than simply being on one side or the other yeah um so i'm not a total expert on the topic but i'd say that um any methods that prevent um implantation should be legal of course and all methods of artificial birth control should be legal again even though i don't personally use those i have four kids before 33 as you can tell um but i think that anything that destroys a conceived embryo um, on a local level, should should not be. Um, I will say this though: I do have much understanding and sympathy to Walter Block's evictionism, you know, um, position. You know, namely that you know, vacuuming out a baby by its head should not be allowed, mm. but the woman does have a right to evict from her body, um, you know, the the being inside of her. I think that has to be after a point of viability. Um, you know, I, I think, and Dave Smith, you know, I don't know if refuted it's the right word, but the way he put it, he said, look, you can't invite somebody into your hot air balloon, take them up, and then say, I'm throwing you out now because it's my property. Mm. You know, there has to be a certain level of responsibility um, for, for that. But I do think that, you know, there's arguments that inducing labor um, should be allowed. So I have I have a lot of sympathy for that position about, you know, again, from a right standpoint, no one should be forced to carry somewhere else. But um, I think that, you know, pregnancy is a natural result of sexual intercourse. And um, and again, if, uh, if uh, the day that somebody shows me that, you know, this is why the conceived embryo or conceived individual does not have rights is the day I become totally fine with it. But until that point, you know, I just don't, I see it as a destruction of life and it violates, you know, the non-aggression principle. A couple of the most commonly asked questions of people who identify as libertarians would be, what are we going to do about the roads in your utopian mind? The roads, how are we going to pay for the roads without taxes? And also, do you really think all drugs should be legal? You tell me, which of those uh, would you like to start with? Yeah. Um, On the drug front... Yeah, I think all drugs should be legal. I really do. I mean, Even fentanyl and heroin and meth? I do. I'm not a drug user. Um, I, I drink alcohol, and uh, I've smoked marijuana a handful of times. Didn't particularly like it. Um, 
I think the proof is in the pudding. Like all the drugs are illegal now and it's a massive, massive problem. You know, um, I think as a, you know, and I'm not an expert on drugs, but I think, you know, fentanyl doesn't exist if not for the illegalization of, of certain drugs, you know, I, why I, I suppose maybe the high is better than other ones, but I just, I, I, I feel that if things were above board, they'd be much safer is the best way to put it. Um, and, you know, again, throwing somebody in a cage for ingesting a substance doesn't make sense to me. I will say that people should have complete and total responsibility for what they do while they're on drugs or alcohol. I don't think that people's sentences should be mitigated or reduced because they were high or drunk. That makes less sense than anything. Um, as it relates to the roads, you know, the roads existed before um, before taxes did. You know, so there will be a market solution to that. I, you know, I should clarify though. I, I'm not an anarchist. I do consider myself a, a, a minarchist, maybe a radical minarchist. Um, I think there's a role to play. I think one of the areas where Rothbard uh, was wrong was children's rights. I think there's a role to play. Maybe I'm influenced in part by my business uh, as it relates to community. And if you want to call it government, that's fine. Protection of individuals who are cognitively um, incapacitated, whether that's because they're not cognitively fully formed yet, children, or individual dementia, brain injury, all that. Because um, I think those individuals are absolutely ripe for abuse, and uh, I think there's a role for the state, the government, the community to play in protecting that, um, but not too much more. Okay. So you would say a radical minarchist. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I... I um and as it relates to all the anarchists and the Libertarian Party, I, I, I think it's tremendous. Um, I think we're pulling things in the very, very similar direction, and I have no problem with them, and I think it's a, more than a big enough tent to include, uh, include those people. Um, and it includes the classical liberals as well. I probably would have called myself a classical liberal at some point. I think I've gone away from that term. There's a sort of neoconservative lean to that where it's, it's, you know, it's, about, it's about, oh, we need this everywhere, and therefore... Liberty should be everywhere, and therefore, let's force it on people. You know, let's spread it. It's like, no, I, I don't, I don't view that as my role. Again, I, I prefer decentralization over. Again, it gets back to the Aquinas quote, but you know, you know, liberty, every, forcing liberty everywhere is going to wind up with authoritarianism. You alluded to it earlier as well. So, um, yeah, radical minarchist, uh, heavily focused on decentralization. Okay. I know your position with the city council is not going to involve foreign policy at all but you were elected as a libertarian. That's a big issue uh, for the libertarian party, for libertarian candidates. Uh, can I assume you are opposed to the United States fe- sending so much federal money to Ukraine? Ardently opposed, yes. Why? Because, first of all, we don't have any money. I mean, there's the reality that we're, you know, trillions in debt and running massive budget deficits. Even if they improve from Trump's budget deficits, there's that's the craziest thing. They're right. like, no, we're it's better right now. Right. You're like, what? Right. What are you talking about? And you look at it, and it's true. They're not like, what does Michael Malice say? They're not. Um, I forget the quote. They're telling the truth, but they're being dishonest. Fact, yeah, factual, but not truthful. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, yes, they are technically over the Corona year. I mean, but yes, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. But no, no problem. But even setting aside the financial aspect of it, um, it's what I was saying earlier. You know. We, we don't have the right to um, pick and choose winners across the world. It's not in the Constitution, even if it, even, even if, well, it's not in the Constitution. All of the founders clearly spoke against it, and even if they didn't, 
it just is, it's a it's a losing it's a losing game. And you know what the the honest truth is that we have no idea if we're being told the truth as it relates to Ukraine and Russia and all that. I mean, I I do consider myself quite you know red pilled. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm I I'm not going to be one of the people that praises Putin. I met somebody on an airplane. I couldn't believe it. Who we were talking and talking for 45 minutes and going on great. It was actually, we were on an airplane the moment the mask mandate got lifted on the plane. So we, were, we already weren't wearing our masks, of course, but then the rest of the plane stopped. But he started praising Putin 45 minutes, and I couldn't believe it. And I said, I, I said you're not going to get me to praise Putin. Like, even if he's better than they say he is, he's still an authoritarian guy who murders his political opponents, you know? Um, but that being said, like, I don't know if if Ukraine's on that much better of a moral plane, there's been some atrocities there too. So it's, uh, it's, it's, there's this, there's a thousand reasons to oppose it. And I'm, I'm of the belief and the hope too, that foreign policy, um, I guess I was of the belief that foreign policy could be what unites all the libertarians and we all get along at least on that front, but it's pretty crazy seeing some people who, um, who as libertarians seem to support, uh, sending money to Ukraine. I will say one thing though. And this is an example of why foreign policy gets so convoluted. Like, I can see an argument about why we do have some debt, we owe something to Ukraine because we got them to give up their nuclear weapons. Mm. And it's like... Because we've in, been involved for so long. Right. And so we told them to give it up. We said, we'll protect you. And now we are. So I do understand that aspect of it. But I think the lesson from it is don't, don't be entangling yourself in these things, you know? And so you got to rip the Band-Aid off at a certain point. And, you know, that sounds insensitive and heartless, but let's be honest, you know, Putin and Zelensky were ready to negotiate an end to this thing in April. And Boris Johnson in the UK and us in the US said, no, don't do it. Um, so it's it, it, me saying, oh, we have made a promise to them years ago we should defend them. If that was a position that would lead to more Ukrainian deaths, then I could see why that'd be heartless. But realistically, us prolonging this thing is what's leading to more Ukrainian deaths. They were ready to negotiate or at least talk, and, and we were the ones turning away from it. So, no, I'm, I'm a... Very, very much against that. I'm not a military veteran, um, and I, I give a ton of credit to those people um, that did serve. And that's the thing, too, about Ron Paul or about any of it. I mean, military veterans oppose this stuff more than anybody, mm. you know, for the most part. So, uh, like I alluded to earlier with Arizona and Florida and the Libertarian Party, I'll leave it to the experts. And many of them, the normal people you meet who are in those roles, realize the farce that our foreign policy has been. I said earlier, my wife is from Cuba. Of course, very anti-socialism, anti-communism. When talking to her about like the Republican Party versus libertarianism, it's interesting, okay? Because there's some overlap where it almost sounds like some of the libertarian lefties are like socialist communists. And so some of that's like, she's like, what the hell? You know, not buying it. Um, safe assumption for me to, to say you are anti like the blockade and any type of... Uh, uh, trade embargo, things like that. Yeah, I think uh, that hurts the normal people more than hurts the leaders. And um, I think that, you know, somebody, I think maybe Tom Woods who said like, <laughs> um, oh, sorry, that's another point. No, what I was going to say is, uh, I think with Bastiat who said, you know, if goods don't cross the border, then soldiers will. Mm. Um, so, and I was thinking about this with Cuba and the embargo against Cuba. Like the best way to get rid of... Um, of, uh, of Castro back when he was in office. I guess it's his brother now, right? Technically, yeah. uh, Miguel Diaz-Canal oh, okay. is the current okay. puppet leader. Right. Raul Castro is still alive. Right. I think he even lives in somewhere in Europe. But anyways, it's, but, the, it's yeah. the Castro regime. Right. But the best way to get rid of them is not for us to not trade with the Cubans and leave them impoverished. It's to 
it's to make them wealthy, you know, and make them demand their own mm. um, overthrow of him. So I, I, uh, I, I could, I could see very strong arguments for why our government shouldn't trade with their government. But uh, in terms of not being able to do business with an everyday Cuban, an everyday Iranian, an everyday Russian, no, I see no reason for that, and I'm against it. It's an interesting topic. I've interviewed a couple times Dennis Misigoy, who who ran mm-hmm. against Marco Rubio in yes. Florida uh, for the Senate seat. Of course, didn't win, but you know it's a uh, an interesting. Um, conversation to have because Dennis is of Cuban descent, as is Marco. So same thing, right? And uh, two, two seemingly pro-Cuba stances, pro the Cuban people stances, but they're different, completely different approaches to that type of thing, right? Yeah, you know, and again, I, 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 uh, you're hitting me with some hard questions. I'm running for Crescent. I'm on Crescent Spring City Council. I'm getting foreign policy and abortion, but uh, and Cuba, but um, no, it's it's, and you know what? Too more important than anything, it's um, different opinions should be expressed and debated and talked about. Not, um, and you know, you see this with so-called wokeism. You know, if you deviate from the standard talking point, then, then you're a bad person. You know, we need to have discussions about different concepts and all that. Um, so with the, the Crescent Springs, um, the city of Crescent Springs, have you seen some people saying, oh, God, we got a libertarian in here. They're going to try to, like, shrink the size of the government. You know, a lot of the general people, unfortunately, hear libertarian, and they think we're crazy as shit. Mm-hmm. Have you encountered that? I haven't encountered it in Crescent Springs. Um, you know, I... Um, it's interesting how it all went down. So, you know, I signed up to run. My wife was eight months pregnant. So throughout the summer, I didn't get to do too much. Really, the first kickoff in our campaign was, without anybody's permission or knowledge, another, just a resident of Crescent Springs... He put the names of the four new candidates on one sign and put them up all over town. So we kind of got lumped in with those four, which two of which I barely know. I don't know if they're going to be on the same page as me ideologically or not. Um, Republicans. Uh, one, at least one or two of them, yeah. Because this city council, it's technically... The they, non- they don't yeah. show, you're right, right. yeah. But... Um, but we, you know, so then I put some flyers together that, you know, had my LPKY email on there and talked about freedom and all that. And then we, the Libertarian Party of Kenton County, with some uh, neighboring libertarians, went door knocking. Um, so no one no one was opposed to it. I mean, it's Thomas Massey country, so libertarian-ish people is no big deal. Some of the, so I don't know how many people in the city knew, but I can tell you, like, among some of the people that are very involved politically in the city, I, mean, I was adamant with them. And I told Thomas Massey, too, uh, he knew, but I said, uh, you know, I'm the Libertarian Party. And there were Democrats, there were Republicans, and they said, oh, sounds like a good independent voice. No problem at all. Um, so no negativity, negativity from that point. The negativity that I <laughs> saw was on, like, Twitter and stuff, and not even on Twitter, but, um, like, friends of mine locally who, you know, saw that LP National tweeted uh, that I won, but the graphic said Crescent Springs, Colorado. I saw that, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing, too, were comments. It's funny you mentioned about, you know, height and attractiveness, like, it was like, oh, the other libertarians all look like they have a real scraggly beard and all that. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was more comments about that than anything. But no, I I you know in my in my life in my experience, um, you know people that are not political junkies 
have no problem with libertarianism. You know, mm. people that are obsessed with politics and either love the Democrats or some love the Republicans hate libertarians. But most people that don't consider themselves particularly political don't seem to have a major problem with it. They might have one or two issues they think are totally crazy to be able to privatize or decentralize. But for the most part, you know, like when you tell somebody that it's illegal for a farm to, you know, slaughter cattle and then sell it directly to people, they they don't, nobody says, oh, it's good for safety reasons. You know, we should have a USDA. And nobody says that. They say, what? That's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. in my experience, um, and again, going back to the Mises caucus strategy of trying to reach out to people who aren't political junkies, it makes a lot of sense because I think uh, people are inherently at least somewhat libertarian in my experience. Are you familiar with any of the other national candidates who had big victories? Uh, in the LP in this cycle? I'm sorry, in the LP. Yeah, correct. Um, if not, that's okay. Not I'm just instantly. curious. I was looking through yeah. the post and I was like, oh, damn, this guy's Kentucky. Yeah. And I reached out to you and I was like, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how, you know, yeah. and you don't need to be, of course. So I'm just curious. Yeah. No, not intimately. Um, I would say, um, you know, when I got onto the ballot and decided I was running, there, it was, there was not some like massive LP infrastructure to support my race. The one person who I did hear from repeatedly was Amy Lepore, who is in Delaware. Um, she is, uh, it's interesting. I, I, well, she, long story short, she is with the Mises caucus. She's like their candidate support person. And she kept reaching out, kept reaching out. How can I help you? What do you need? How can I help you? Um, hooked me up with some graphic design services from an LNC rep, actually, Carrie Eiler, uh, did some, did some graphic design for my flyer. Um, all for free, both of them all for free. I, 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 uh, I don't like people doing stuff for free. So I made a donation to a libertarian cause of their choice. But, um, but that was really only once. No, I did not, I did not touch base with the other candidates. I did, uh, I, we had another, we had a Boone County candidate, LP Boone County up by us who won magistrate of the peace. And then I'm friendly with Adam Gilbert, uh, over in Vanceburg. So he, he unfortunately lost his race, but I was in touch with him, but nationally, no, no one else. Shout out to Christian Varney, who actually got yes. me in touch with you. He's kind of my go-to guy for anyone yeah. in the state of Kentucky. And, of course, he's not far from you. Yep. And Christian is a veteran. Christian is a – when I said earlier that it was Mises Caucus people that reached out to me or, or were responding to me when I was thinking about joining, he was the one pulling me along. So I have to give Christian a lot of credit. Happy Veterans Day to you, Christian. Did you vote for Joe Jorgensen? I did, um, and which was hard for me as a pro-life person. But uh, the point that was made to me, maybe by Christian or maybe even by Chris Weiss, who no longer is with the LP, um, was like, even if the libertarian candidate is pro-choice, they won't fund abortions with your money. Okay. Republicans vote for budgets all the time that do. Sure. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good point about uh, being being able to sleep able at night, sleep well at night, um, supporting a pro-choice person. So I did, I you know. Joe Jorgensen, I think, actually was a very good libertarian. I think she was a fairly bad political candidate. But compared to Gary Johnson, I think she was a better libertarian. You know, I don't think she ever would have said the bake the cake stuff that he did and all that ridiculousness. Um, so, you know, um, I mean, some of the tweets were ridiculous and just sure. signaled to a bad audience. But I thought she was a fine libertarian. Um, so, you know, I um, when I think about the LP, again, I, I, I don't think we have serious um, ideological differences and problems, all the internal fighting. I, I think there's problems of character and there's problems of quality of people we need higher quality people to be involved in, in, in doing things but uh, ideologically we're all pretty close um there's probably a lot of people who could use a life outside of the lp too and not mm. you know, just get so emotional about everything every disagreement becomes a 
you know, big personal fight. It's, um, it's out of control. So, you know, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was going to tweet it out, but, uh, from my County Twitter account that I run, but, um, you know, if you don't have 50 people in your life, like take the person in the libertarian party that you're closest with. If you don't have 50 people in your life you're closer with than that person, like this party's never going to grow. You know, mm. We need to have networks outside the Libertarian Party because you're not going to convince people by, you know, in 140 characters of something you took from, you know, uh, from, a, you know, human action. Uh, you need to have networks, and that's going to be the way to influence people is to show them who you are and what you're about, and then they find out you're a Libertarian. In your case, oftentimes probably your Catholic church community. Church, kids sports, kids school, all of that. Maybe at the brewery sometimes too. Okay. Catholic. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, Bill Schultz, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Before we start to wrap up the episode, if someone wants to follow you, hear more about what you have to say, you referenced a county yeah. Twitter account that I'm, I don't think I'm following. How, how can we follow you? What type of plugs would you like to mention before we wrap up the yeah, episode? Yeah, you know, there's not a ton of ways to follow me personally because, again, I've never been in this for myself. Um, I do run most of the tweets on uh, at LP Kenton County, um, which is our, our Twitter uh, account for our county party. Um, so I know I would say anybody out there, um, I tell you what, I'm sure in your show notes you can post my email and phone number, okay, uh, which I'm happy to give. I want that everywhere. So I, I'd love to talk to anybody who's, uh, thinking about getting involved with the LP, who's has reservations about things, who wants to get more involved, think about running for office, especially here in Kentucky, you'd be happy to do that. Um, I I really want again, it's not for me, it's for my kids. I want this movement to grow, and I want this party to grow, and and all of that. Um, and if, if I uh, if I can play a small part in that, that'd be thrilled. Great stuff. Uh, once again, Bill Schultz, newest or soon to be sworn in as a member of the Crescent Springs City Council. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.